we're in between series. We, we just finished up the Word series last week. And next week, we're going to start a series on prayer. We thought we'd wait for a Super Bowl Sunday so that you could like, get some extra, like, you know, maybe some prayer skills in for your team. I don't know. But yeah, I'm really excited about the prayer series. God is doing a movement of prayer in our ministry. And I just think there's a wave of the Spirit coming. I, I, I feel this in so many ways, get this confirmed in so many ways. And we know God doesn't do anything without his people praying. So we're gonna talk about that next week and I'm excited. But this week, we really wanted just to have like a conversation with our church family around vision and around really what it means to be kind of moving through the middle of something. Because we're kind of in the middle right now. We'll talk about that. How many of you guys have been on a trip, a long trip somewhere, uh, maybe towards, towards Disneyland or something, and you've got someone under the age of 12 in the car? And there's a question that's being asked uh, every few minutes. And the question is, are we there yet, right? And I have to say that the invention of the iPad has helped with that question a little bit, keeps those little guys distracted some. But the truth is, is uh, when you're in the middle between the beginning and the end, it can get a little monotonous. You know, you can get the, the monotonous middle. Uh, you can start to get a little dull. You can kind of give up a little of that passion and that energy. When you first started that race, you were running at a clip. And then you start to kind of, oh, it's kind of tough. And I want to talk about the middle today. Because I want to say that what happens in the middle, what we do in the middle, it matters. The battle is in the middle. We're molded in the middle. We're going to talk about this. The habits we form, we form in the middle. And they either get us to the finish line or not. There's been a lot of times in my life when I've been in the middle of something. We use that phrase, man, I'm just in the middle of it right now. You know, I remember being in college and feeling like, oh man, I'm in the middle of it. You know, like your sophomore, junior year, like, ah, oh, graduation's still a little ways out. I remember my, my wife, uh, man, she's just an incredible person on so many levels. But I remember when she was in the middle of her, of her program. She had just gotten her master's degree to be a guidance counselor. And then the Lord really moved in her heart to, to become a marriage and family therapist. And I remember on that journey, we were in the middle of that for a long time. Because not only do you have to go through the classes uh, academically, then you have to go through your, your kind of your all the practice and all the, all the supervision. She had 3,000 3, hours of supervision. I remember thinking, we're never going to get to the end. Of course, I didn't say that to her, but I'm like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. I learned how to make spaghetti really well at home, right? <laughs> and my kids loved it because mom was working. She was doing all these extra stuff. I remember even like when we had our children, uh, the, the Carson and McKenzie were born a little early. Michelle's literally in the NICU with them finishing her master's paper, like writing a paper. She's just given birth. Uh, that's just kind of what it is in the middle, right? Um, anybody in the middle of the diaper phase? Any diaper phase people today? Yeah, yeah. Look at this picture. This was Carson McKenzie. This just epitomizes. Can you guys put it over there? Like, yeah, like that's, that's what it's like to be in the middle. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, oh my gosh. Yeah, this is never going to end. I think we counted how many diapers we changed at once. It was an ungodly amount of diapers. Anyway, maybe you're in the middle of um, a particularly difficult season, though, in your life. Maybe you're walking through something really hard at work. Uh, maybe you're just in a rock and a hard place, and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of things you can do, and you're just stuck in the middle. Maybe you're in the middle of a, of a difficult relationship. Maybe your marriage is kind of in the middle, and you're feeling like, this is hard. This is tough. 
Maybe you're walking through an illness. As a pastor, I walk with people a lot through difficult, difficult journeys and chronic illness, appointments to see this doctor or that doctor or to receive that chemo treatment or that treatment, just kind of in the middle. There's a lot that happens in the middle, and I want to ask the question today, how do we make it when we're in the middle? I don't know if you feel like you're in the middle right now, but if you do, if you, if you feel that way, I want to really speak to you this morning about how do you make it in the middle? How do you, how do you win that battle? So about a year ago, we kicked off our, our campaign, uh, the, five, the Sprint to 520, because that's the address across the street. And we talked about, okay, we want to really raise some money up and, and try to really get some of the, of the, of the seed money we're going to need for the architectural drawings and kind of get through over to, the, over to that process. And we looked at the book of Nehemiah. And we looked at Nehemiah as a person that could really kind of show us what that journey is like. Because there's a start and there's a middle and there's a finish in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah starts this way. Remember, if you don't remember, it's fine if you don't remember the sermons from a year ago. I don't hardly remember what I preached last week, and that's okay, all right? It's, it's, it's okay, because that was manna for back then. We got bread today. Can I get an amen? Um, so we said this last year. We said that Nehemiah chose calling over comfort. Because Nehemiah uh, was kind of a rare exception. Of all the Jewish exiles, he he had the fortunate job of being with the king in the palace. The rest of his people were slaves and they're all over. But Nehemiah was kind of swept up into the kind of royal court and he served Artaxerxes directly, this pagan king. But Nehemiah hears about the dismay and and the trouble back home from his brother and he sees what a wreck Jerusalem is, even though he has never been there himself and we saw, said last year that Nehemiah chose calling over comfort. Instead of staying comfortable, he grabbed the calling to identify with his people. And last year, we talked about how God, in a powerful way, moved in the hearts of that king to give Nehemiah the resources to go back to Jerusalem and start this building project to restore the broken walls of Jerusalem. We looked at that. And so the point we wanted to say last, last week or last year is that as a church, we need to kind of not just get comfortable in this building. Like, hey, we've got seats, we're good. Like, no, we have a city that needs Jesus and we're gonna, we're gonna grab onto calling over comfort because we're not comfortable just doing what we've been doing. We wanna see a city get encountered by the transforming love of our savior, Jesus, amen. That's what we wanna do. And so we have this vision. Yeah, you can, you can cheer that. We have this vision for the city. Guys, I've been praying over the city in new ways. I, I can't share all that's on my heart right now. I will in the coming weeks and months. But I've been just praying for God to do new things in our city because I believe God is ready to just wreck our town with the gospel of Jesus. And I think he's gonna use us to be a part of that. We're not the only church, but we're one of those churches that I think is gonna be pulling on the rope to see people come to know Jesus. And so Nehemiah, back to our story, Nehemiah, he, he uh, now has these resources. We're going to pick it up in the middle now, and we're going to be back in this story. So Nehemiah now comes to Jerusalem. A lot's already happened, and he now needs to gather the people, cast some vision, and get started on this building project. Look what happens. Nehemiah chapter 2, 17. He says, then I said to them, these are the people, you see the, the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. The gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we'll no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. 
What you notice in Nehemiah here is that Nehemiah has already had these encounters with, the, with God. He's already seen God at work in the heart of the king, this pagan king that would actually finance this rebuilding project, which is a miracle. And then he tells the people about what God has been doing. So Nehemiah isn't casting a vision that's in his own heart. This, is in the heart. this vision started in the heart of God and Nehemiah said yes to that calling and cast the vision to the people. And you know, last year we kind of did the same thing. We, we said, you know, uh, we got to tell you what God's been doing, church. Like this, this whole building project, this whole building thing just isn't our own idea. Like there's some cool things that have been happening. And for some of you, you're newer to, the, to our church. And I want to remind you of some of the story that, you, or maybe tell you for the first time of, of what God did. About two years ago, um, I was on a pastor's retreat with some of our pastors. And uh, we were there and I, I, I shared with them. I said, guys, I, I just can't get this thing out of my mind. There are these vacant buildings next to our, our 540 campus that have been there for years. Just no, nothing in there. I said, guys, I just feel like God wants us to go over there and say, give us these buildings. Like, I don't know why. I just, I mean, they're for lease. They're not even for sale. But I just think we should go over there and just ask God to give us these. Why not? You know? And so I had Chris. So Chris will do anything. You know? Like, yeah, let's go. Right? <laughs> And I had Mike, and Mike's a little bit more reserved, but he's like, okay, Brad. And then Evan, Evan's down, right? So look at this picture. You got a picture? Um, so Evan, Mike, uh, Chris, and I, we go over there, and Chris, of course, brings his guitar. And then, of course, we're thinking about Jericho and singing, the walls falling down. So then we just walk around. <laughs> we do. We walk around the buildings. We meet some homeless folks, invite them to church. It's all cool. And we are singing, and we're like, Lord, knock these walls down. Come on. And we go over there. Evan's I, I took that picture because I just love that. Just laying his hands on the building, which I think is actually now the wellness center. Come on. That's cool, guys. Like, that's cool. That's the wellness center right now. That's where our, 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 our children's ministry is going to be. I'm going to get off track if I'm not careful, guys. I'm sorry. I'm just excited about this. So then we share with the church. And here's, here's, what was, here's where God had to move next. Because we had that in our heart. The buildings are not for sale. They're for lease. So God has to change that. And we don't have very much money. So God has to lower the price because what they wanted was a ridiculous amount of money. And God did both. Come on. God took the, yeah. God changed the heart of the people who owned it from a lease to a sale. And we got it below market value. That's awesome. That was awesome. That was last year. So guys, let me say this. This is what I'm going to say this morning as I get started here today. Before we move, we look to God. Guys, we're not trying to create our own visions for our life. And that's where we get it wrong. So many times people get it wrong when they create the, their own vision for their life. Guys, let me give, give you a, a newsflash. You did not create you. You, owe, you are owed to a creator. That's who you belong to. And if you've given your life to Jesus, I have more news for you. You are bought with a price and the price was his blood. So you don't belong to you, right? So stop with the own, your own visions for life. Like, let's just stop with that because that vision isn't the vision God gave to us. Let's ask God for his vision. Let's get on board with that. And then let's move forward. Can I get an amen? We get, we get his vision and then we move forward. Because this is a really part, a really critical part of my sermon today. We have to look to God before we begin. It's, it's in the beginning phase that you make the decision. This is the only time in this process that you're getting like this decision down. Because later on, your, your decision is going to be challenged. And, and that's not when you want to be challenged with that. You need to be sure you're in the place where God wants you to be. So you're getting counsel. 
You're getting wisdom. You're getting, you're getting the spirit of God to confirm what people are saying. You're saying, Lord, is this what you want? You're counting the cost. And then you're going to make a step of faith forward. That's really important. We count the cost and we make the decision. We trust God. And then we go ahead. Because here's what's waiting for us. As soon as we make that decision, resistance. Let me say something to you guys. Resistance isn't a sign of a bad decision. It's a sign you've made one. It's a sign you're starting in a direction. You don't feel the headwind until you turn into it. You don't, you don't find that there's resistance in the spiritual realm until you start taking advanced steps in God's kingdom. The devil doesn't fight someone who isn't moving in advancement of God's kingdom. That's really important for you to understand. Because right now you might be in the middle and you might be experiencing all kinds of resistance and you might be wanting to question your decision. Let's look at what happens with Nehemiah again. So he started this building project. He got people on board. He showed them what God was doing. And then look what happens. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official and Gershom the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. Instantly, there was resistance to some Jews that would try anything for God. And then the text continues. They, what is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? They, they began to question their character. Are you guys starting a rebellion? Of course, that's not true. In fact, the king was financing their building project. So this is not any kind of rebellion, but these, these detractors, these enemies, this resistance doesn't care about truth. Guys, Satan doesn't care about telling the truth. He just cares about destroying your vision. And so there was, a, there was this a verbal attack in the very beginning. And so Nehemiah responds and he responds boldly and he responds with conviction. And he says these words, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. He puts them in their place. And so they start working. Nehemiah, he rallies these people. A lot of them were farmers and other trades, and now they're becoming bricklayers. They're building this wall. And so they start this giant building project. And you can look at that in chapter three of Nehemiah. Everybody gets a different spot on the wall. They all use their gifts and their talents and their abilities. Everyone kind of pitches in. It's a group effort and they start working and they work hard. We get to chapter four now of Nehemiah. And we see this attack again from the enemy. When Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall, he flew into a rage and mocked the Jews saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can rebuild the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap? In other words, you're just trying to, you're making a wall from a pile of trash. Are you kidding me right now? This is impossible. And so uh, this, this verbal attack and this discouraging word to try to, to try to see doubt in their hearts that they won't be able to complete the work that's ahead for them. This is an impossible task. You're trying to make a wall out of a trash heap. I like this next part of the verse because there's this sidekick. You know how there's a, in these movies, there's like this, always this awkward sidekick guy there, you know? And I, I feel like this Tobiah guy is like the awkward sidekick guy. Maybe I'm just reading that into scripture, but just play with me a second. Look what he says. So then Tobiah feels like he needs to say something like, dude, you really don't need to say nothing. But he does, right? He says, 
that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked around the top of it. It's like, I could just see Sam Ballot saying, Tobiah, wasn't my, wasn't my mocking enough? Like, do you really have to go with the whole fox thing? Like, I, you know, it's, it's like kind of like the disgusted look like, shut up, <laughs> you know? But anyway, so like you have this verbal attack and they're trying to discourage these Jews and they're trying to say, you guys can't do it. A fox would tear down your wall. <laughs> okay, not the cleverest comeback, but whatever, right? And so what is, what is Nehemiah gonna do? Nehemiah prays at that moment. And he says, Lord, defend your honor. Your servants are being mocked. People are, are bringing a reproach to your name. And then he says this, hit that next verse for me. The wall was now coming to this completed of, the, of this half. They kept working and they got right to half of its height. And this is, a, this is important because we're right now in the middle. They got the entire perimeter of the wall kind of started. They're halfway there. But I want to show you something. The people were enthusiastic. They were excited. They were seeing progress. And it's in the middle, it's halfway through that the enemy changes its tactics. It's in the, it's, it's in the middle when you've been running for a while, sometimes the enemy will change his tactics in your life. He'll start to make you question yourself. You're already tired. Look what happens. It says, when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashdites heard that the work was going ahead, and that the, that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired so that they were furious. And notice this, they all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. No, it's no longer a verbal assault. It's no longer saying you guys can't do it. They actually were achieving some progress. And so now the tactic is let's physically attack them. The fight happens in the middle. Look, guys, the enemy, he isn't happy when we start something, but he's defeated when we finish. He'll try to resist you when you start, but listen, friend, it's in the middle where the fight really lies because he knows if you can get from the start through the middle to the end, he's defeated. And so don't be surprised if the enemy doesn't change tactics in the middle. Can I tell you this, that we are molded in the middle. How we respond to the new tactics, how we respond to that new attack, what we choose to do in the middle changes us. It molds us. It makes us. Friend, listen, the middle is the place where we, are where we either make it or break it. We either fight or we flee. Guys, it is so important that you understand that the battle is in the middle. Right now, you might be in the middle of a difficult marriage. And let me tell you what happens when you're in the middle of a difficult marriage. You start to question, did I marry the right person? And somebody's planted a seed. It might be your own voice. It might be the voice of somebody else. I don't think you ever should have married them anyway. It's the seeds that were planted, those voices that get louder. Notice what happens in our story, verse 10. The people of Judah began to complain. Notice this. The workers are getting tired. There's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Who does that sound like? That doesn't sound like them. That sounds like Sam Ballad. He was saying that. He was the one telling them they could never do it. And now notice this. They've adopted the language of the enemy. 
They've identified with what the enemy said about them and now they're saying that about themselves. Guys, can I say something to you? The voices that you hear in the middle are critical because they're gonna push you one or other direction. Who you listen to when you're in the middle is absolutely critical. That's why we've been encouraging you to be in spiritual relationships with brothers and sisters, people who you can depend upon when you're in the middle because the fight fatigues us. We are tired. And I don't want you to raise your hand, but if I ask how many of us are worn out right now, the hands would be a lot because that's life. So many of us are in the middle and we need to be told, keep going. So how do we make it? I want you to see what happens to this leader, Nehemiah. He sees this. He sees the people are discouraged. He sees that everybody seems to be kind of like, maybe they're going to go buy into what Sambalat's been saying. Maybe they're going to believe what the enemy's been telling them, that this is too much. And that this critical moment, a voice cries out, and it's Nehemiah. So look what he says. Then I looked, as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people. And I said to them, do not be afraid of the enemy. Notice this. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. In the middle of your middle, you need someone to remind you of the king. In the middle of your middle, you need a voice that will get you focused back on your destination and stop making you think about your decision. Your decision was yesterday. You made that decision. You made that covenant. You made that vow. You're in that now. Stop thinking about your decision and start thinking about your destination. Because if you get your eyes on your decision, you're likely to quit. But if you keep your eyes on your destination, come on, somebody, you're going to see, well done, you good and faithful servant. Keep your eyes on your destination. Keep your eyes on your destination. That's what this voice was. What this voice was, was a voice toward the vision of what we came to do. He reminds them. He says, guys, we have a battle. We have a fight. Our wives, our children, our land is at stake. We just can't give up. We're already committed. Let's keep going. I want to say something to you. What we need in our life is a complete and clear picture of why we're fighting in the first place. See, I think the enemy wants us so much to not think about why are we fighting in the first place? It just seems so much easier to just quit right now. Why did I sign up for that program? Why did I, I re-enroll in college? What was I thinking? Why did I, why did I commit to this person? Why did, I, why did I start in this pathway? Why did I start on that budget? Why did I start in that difficult program? Why, why not just kind of go back to how it was? Maybe I'm not the kind of person who could actually achieve this anyway. Maybe that voice in my past is right about me. I'm a failure. Maybe that's just somebody else. They can succeed in that way, but not me. The writer of Hebrews, he has some powerful words. And he says this, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Guys, why do, is it so important that we come to church on Sundays? Guys, for nothing else than just for about 50 minutes out of your week to get your eyes back on Jesus in the middle of a week that is holding you down in the middle 
that you can get reminded that one day we are going to see Jesus, guys. And this Jesus who was crucified on a cross and resurrected, the angel says, this same Jesus who you just saw ascend is going to return and the angels are going to come with him and this entire world is going to be turned upside down and every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess because Jesus Christ is Lord. Come on. Let's get reminded of that. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And I think he models this for us, guys. Look what it says. It says, for the joy set before him, he kept his eyes on the vision of the destination. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what he did. He kept his eyes on what the destination was, which was our salvation. And between Bethlehem and exaltation was a cross on Calvary. And he had to go through the cross to be exalted as king and as our savior. And friends, aren't you glad Jesus did not get his eyes on the decision, but stayed on the destination and did not turn his face from Jerusalem, but kept his eyes flint, like flint, focused on Jerusalem, the text says. He, he just focused on his, on his mission and he didn't let go of that. You know, I, uh, I, I've been riding my bike on the weekends or whenever I have a day off. And there's this ride I take from my house up to Boulder City. And this ride is uh, about 12 and a half miles. And so um, I, I don't have an electric bike. I have an old bike, right? And so I'll, I'll be riding up to the, um, to the bike path and I'll turn this one like corner and at that moment, you see, which is like a five-mile, like, gradual but steady climb up to Railroad Pass. You can kind of see it all from this one point. And at that, it doesn't fail no matter what. It's at that moment, I'm, like, questioning my decision, right? I'm like, dude, I really want to do this today. And it's like, okay, I have to make a choice right now. I'm at the beginning. I'm about to start. And I'm either going to make a choice <laughs> to turn my back around and go back home, right? Or I'm going to say, no. I'm going to put my headphones in and start listening to some worship music. And here's what I do, guys. I make one decision. I pedal. I don't make a thousand decisions to pedal. I make one decision to pedal, and I just do that a thousand times, right? I just make a decision, and then I put my headphones in, and then I start worshiping Jesus. And you want to know what's crazy? Pretty soon, those like 45 like light pole or the power line poles that I count. It's like, wow, a lot, right? I look again and I got like five left because the journey from where I started to where I'm going, I started focusing on that destination. I stopped thinking about the decision. I already made the decision. Decision's made. Now I'm going to worship my way. Come on. I'm going to worship my way up the mountain and I'm going to let Jesus just carry me along in that journey. Look at, look at what the writer of Hebrews says in the verse before. He says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses, in the passage 11, right before this verse, the writer of Hebrews reminds us of all the faithful men and women who went before us. All the men and women who were faithful when it was their turn at bat. And he says, now it's our turn. You have this cheering section in heaven, cheering you on and saying, don't quit. Keep your eyes on Jesus. 
this great cloud of witnesses is, is cheering you on. And so the writer says, hey, throw off everything that hinders you. Some of us have to just do some purging. We, like, you know what? This is just too, this, this climb is too hard. And so if I keep this on, I'm not gonna, do, I'm gonna throw that off because this destination is so important. It's gonna drive my decisions. The destination will drive my decisions. So I'm gonna throw some stuff off so I can keep going forward. Then he says this, the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out before us. God is going to empower you with his spirit to do that work. Paul makes that clear in Ephesians that God by his Holy Spirit is going to empower you. So many of us are trying to do this on our own. What we need to do, if we want to climb this mountain, if we want to keep our eyes on that destination, we have to make a disciplined effort to keep our eyes on Jesus by disciplining ourselves to spend time with the Lord and invite the Holy Spirit into our hearts to help us keep going forward. You might be in a difficult season. Can I remind you that the Holy Spirit is your helper? The Holy Spirit is God's gift to you to help you go forward. We're not depending on the Spirit. So what we need to do, guys, is we need to develop destination-driven habits to keep us when we're in the middle. And I want to talk about that right now. We're going to kind of shift. I pray that this sermon encouraged you. And I want to shift now to our church because I don't know where you're at personally, but I know where we are as a church. And I want to talk about like, okay, how do we as a church make these steps in the middle so that when we are finally there at 520, that we are poised to launch in even greater ways to do our city. We have to strengthen where we are now so that we can move in to that place so that God will say, look, that church was faithful in the middle. They were faithful all the way through. And now I can, I can trust them with even more. And so as you look at the end of Nehemiah, I love this statement. This is just beautiful. This is in Nehemiah chapter six, the end of the story. It says on October 2nd, the wall was finished. Guys, I don't know what the date is gonna be for us when our like buildings finished, but that's gonna be so great, right? It says 52 days after we had begun, our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it and they were hum frightened and humiliated. Why? They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. And that's what it's gonna be like when we're at the finish line. And the building is not the finish line for the church like me. The building is just one step towards another you know, advance as we continue to take the gospel into our city. But it's a necessary step. It's where we are right now, right? Just like when you're going up the mountain in your bike, right? You get to that hill and then you're like, okay, now the next hill, right? And you're just like, okay, okay like, that's life. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Guys, I gotta ask you something though. Aren't you glad that you're on the winning team? Aren't you glad that we can follow Jesus through these challenges and know that he's taking us to higher and greater heights? And so I want to I I just talk about our church now. Guys, we exist as a church to lead people to the transforming love of Jesus. Every week, people come to our church or our church goes to them, and we introduce people to the transforming love of Jesus. Every chance we get to talk about our Savior, we're introducing them to somebody that can transform their life by his love. How many of us in this room have been transformed by the love of Jesus, Right? Amen, right? That's us. And not only do we want to lead people to the transforming love of Jesus, we want to be a multiplying church that equips 
and, and, and mobilizes generations of Jesus followers. I love what Wally shared about his family and their experience. I love that we have, you know, Mitch having his children in our academy. I love that multiplying, equipping future generations. And we're not just doing that if you're, if you're able of, to be a part of the school community. We're doing that for everyone in our city because if they get transformed by the love of Jesus, then we're like, okay, let's come and let's grow. Let's show you how you can begin to equip, be equipped to take that message to other people.